Alexandra, lovely to meet you and thanks for taking the time to come and talk to us. It's really great to be here with you, Jeff. Oh, well, thank you. Um, a typical question, and I'm sure you get asked it a lot, but it's just to, to start this off, because as time goes by, as generations go by, the name of Cousteau is not so well known. And your grandfather, uh, Jacques, and your father, Philippe, who did some amazing work, and you've carried on that legacy. Could you just give us a, a, a a short background into that and then how you carry uh, carry the work on? Of course. Um, so for those who don't know who Jacques Cousteau was, um, he is, among many other things, uh, best known for being the first to create the underwater documentaries that introduced the world to what was under the waves, um, which most people in the world didn't know about just 70 or 80 years ago. So that was a big shift for the world to really see the underwater world for the first time. And um, in order to do that, he invented scuba diving. So that's also something that he contributed uh, to those of us who love the underwater world and, and love to visit there from time to time. Um, and, you know, they, after exploring the oceans and making films about the oceans for so long, they realized that there were changes happening to these places that they loved, uh, bad changes, pollution and overfishing and, and many of the problems that we're still struggling with today. And so they helped to articulate this conservation ethic for the ocean, um, which really has, uh, was sort of the seed, if you will, of the conservation movement that we see today that tries to protect the oceans and, and prevent some of these um, really bad things from happening there. And, and we're seeing more and more of it every day. So it's a, it's what they started, I think is really important. And, um, and for me personally, you know, growing up uh, with that family being on my first expedition in, in Easter Island when I was six months old and, and just being part of the crew and the adventure. And um, I think really gave me, not just a love for adventure and a love for being out in the field and telling stories and, and being on a mission with a group of people. But it also gave me a very strong sense of purpose. And that purpose has really um, shaped who I've become and, and has shaped everything that I've done with my life up until now. Yeah, funnily enough, your, your grandfather shaped my life too. Uh, his influence on me as I was a youngster watching the programs um, it made me do what I do it, it formed my career from those times of watching those amazing programs to now the work you're doing uh, how in the most noticeable way have the oceans changed in those short few generations well so we've lost 50% of the ocean, 50% of the whales and the fish and the life that existed there when my grandfather first started exploring them in the fifties is gone. And so I think we have um, some real soul searching to do about how we manage our oceans and, and how we plan to address these problems moving forward because scientists must agree that we have about 10 years to create significant changes in, in, in how, we, how our societies uh, treat the ocean 
before we start reaching some tipping points from which it'll be hard to get back. And that's sort of the bad side. The good side, though, is that a recent study, peer-reviewed scientific study, that was published uh, by our chief scientist at Oceans 2050 in Nature magazine last May shows quite clearly that the science supports the idea that we can restore abundant oceans by the year 2050 if we do certain things over the course of the next decade. And it's not just that we will have abundant oceans, but um, economically it's also beneficial with about a $10 return for every dollar invested in this. And so I think that the time has come now for us to um, shift gears a little bit and move from this idea of conservation and sustainability that we protect what we have, which has been so important for the last generation and start thinking about how we rebuild marine biodiversity and restore abundance to our, our oceans, which frankly, Jeff, is a whole new solutions pathway and a new way of thinking about what we need to do in the next decade to uh, reverse these negative trends that we've been seeing accumulating over the past 20 or 30 years. Uh, that it would be an amazing goal. I mean, uh, as you're saying, the, the, the best form of defense is attack. So let's not rest on our laurels and save stuff. Let's actually make it better, which would be an incredible thing to do. But in trying to do that, are you getting support from those that count, you know, the governments, um, the industries? Are, are they taking this on board? That's a really good question. And typically they've been the last ones to respond to urgency, um, things like climate change and oceans and biodiversity and pandemics, you know, <laughs> they haven't um, shown uh, to be very, very quick off the mark. Um, but other industries are moving forward. And I think, you know, it's, it's not just that we need to get governments, um, although we do, they need to pass better legislation, uh, more ambitious legislation. I think corporations can do a lot more as well, uh, for sure. And I think some of them are. Um, but I also think that science has a huge role to play in starting to figure out how we measure things differently. So one of the things that we're doing at Oceans 2050 is advancing the science around um, understanding how much carbon a seaweed farm sequesters. So you may or may not have seen a whole raft of articles around seaweed as um, you know, a new uh, nature-based solution for mitigating climate change. And, and it does promise to be that, but we really need to understand how and understand exactly what we can do to optimize these farms for carbon sequestration. Um, but not in a way that scales too quickly and starts to create the same problems we've seen with agricultural practices on land. We want to see the seaweed industry starting to give us regenerative impacts in the ocean as they give us industrial feedstocks for plastic and fuel and nutraceuticals, cosmetics, food, um, you know, all sorts of different things. You know, kelp can be very much uh, a solution to a lot of our problems in a way that doesn't harm the environment. But we want to make sure that that's done in a way 
that optimizes the restorative potential of seaweed farms. And so we're advancing that science to create a voluntary carbon market um, around uh, carbon sequestration on farms. And that's one example of how I think we need to be thinking about um, the blue economy moving forward. You know, the blue economy is, is accelerating so quickly. And when I go to different ministerial meetings, I hear ministers from around the world talking about the blue economy in terms of sustainable exploitation. And that makes me really afraid of how we're planning to um, accelerate the economy into the ocean. I think what we want to do is have a restorative, a regenerative blue economy where everything that we do in the ocean not only builds the economy and the jobs and livelihoods of the people who depend on it, but that also restore abundance to the ocean so that um, we can see our fisheries coming back, feeding more people um, and more animals. We see industries like seaweed that are scaling around the world in a way that brings all of these environmental benefits to the ocean and to the communities that depend on them. So I think that if we shift our gaze from how we've been doing things up until now and really rethink our approach so that we have a win-win between the economy and the environment and start thinking about innovative technologies and practices that can get us there. I think that 10 years could be enough time, but we definitely need to start now. And I think if we do it in science and entrepreneurship and innovation and technology, then we'll start to see the companies and the government start to, to catch up to us. Um, for those that, that aren't already there. And as I said, there are some that, that really are trying to, to be leaders in this space. You also get, um, you get support from people, you know, communities, uh, as, as well as the officials. I mean, can, can they actually see what you're trying to do and how it, it will benefit them in the end? Are they actually getting the picture? Well, I think policymakers are, are slow. You know, we, we've, um, I, I've been um, working with Oceana on um, fisheries legislation for about a decade now, um, trying to, you know, help governments around the world to um, do simple things like implementing science-based quotas for fisheries and expanding marine protected areas and reducing bycatch so that their commercial fisheries can come back. Some fisheries like the North Atlantic cod, which are so important for communities and the ocean, are suppressed at 6% of their historic population. And they've been that way for a long time. And the way they're being managed will keep them there for a long time, rather than managing them for abundance. And it's really difficult, even if policymakers want to create change. Sometimes the fisheries managers are stuck in situations that make it hard for them to implement that change. So we have a lot of, of work to do, I think, to getting governments on board with simple ideas that could restore abundant fisheries. Um, it's getting it into practice is difficult. And, and that's where I think, you know, people power comes to play, where our purchasing decisions and who we give our business to and you know, how informed we are about where our fish comes from, um, who caught it, uh, you know, things like that that can actually make a huge difference um, and send clear market signals. We, we can do better. And, and I think some of the technologies out there now for, you know, traceability and transparency are getting to a point where, where that's going to become commonplace. For example, the global... Um, 
the, the Global Fisheries Watch, um, which tracks fishing boats all over the world um, to understand better, you know, if they're, they're um, fishing illegally or fishing in, in protected areas. That kind of technology sheds a light on what used to be the Wild West, the middle of the ocean. And now we have a chance to know what's going on there and, and implement consequences for fishing companies that break the law. So I think that there's a lot of hope in this technology and, and these kinds of ideas um, that are, are really changing, changing how we manage our oceans. But as I said, I think governments are, are going to be slow to the mark and, and it's up to us. And, you know, as a, as a scuba diver, um, you know, I love, being close to the oceans. I know you do as well. And, and we all worry about what's happening there. And um, I can't wait to go back <laughs> to the ocean. We're, we're living in Western France right now. And, and so the ocean is pretty far away from me. Um, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to, to go diving, uh, at least for the duration of the pandemic. But um, one of the things that we've been working on to bring the ocean closer to people and people closer to the ocean is a web search for the ocean community to elevate everyone who's working on ocean um, protection and restoration and bring them together and bring them to a place where um, we can support them in many, many different ways. Um, but the first part of that we launched uh, in December with Sea Legacy. That is an organization started with by um, Christina Mittermeier and Paul Nicklin who are amazing ocean photographers and extraordinary people as well. But um, at sealegacy.blue, uh, you can download the mobile app and uh, the Chrome extension. And that way, every time you go search, you're not only seeing their extraordinary photography, which for me is like a moment of zen <laughs> throughout my day, um, but we're also raising money for um, the ocean community. And, and that's tremendously exciting that we're able to um, you know, use the search engines as a way to you know, bring, bring a piece of the ocean to our day every day and, um, and also support the important work that's being done to help protect and restore them. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, a bit of what you were saying. That, uh, it's funny, it, images, um, video, photography, in a way carries a lot more weight with public opinion than facts and figures because... The, the ocean is a thing that most people don't see. They certainly, not many in the world see um, what is below it. And so when it goes, they don't miss it. But the medium of film and photos are such a powerful tool. Uh, you, are you still in the filmmaking business? Can, uh, do you produce stuff for the consumer to see? Not so much anymore. Um, I much prefer to work with people like Paul and Christina at Sea Legacy who are, you know, world-class storytellers. And, um, and, and I think that that is a better use of <laughs> my talent is, is to think about how we shape the conversation around what we need to do next and, um, you know, pursue high-level advocacy on behalf of the oceans and storytelling and, figuring out what innovations and what tools and, and what technologies can be deployed um, for oceans and, and 
I've been really busy advocating for the oceans with all sorts of different audiences, but I haven't been behind the camera in, I don't know, about eight years now. So I don't miss it so much. You know, I think when my grandfather and my father were making their films, they were really the first and the only ones to do that. And uh, they were very talented at it. And it was certainly a wonderful experience for me as a child to join them and be there with them. Um, but storytelling isn't just about holding a camera. It's also about thinking about the story and the ways to engage people and create momentum around an idea, um, articulating what those ideas could be and, and getting support for them and, and finding the tools and the inventions and the, the people that can be part of that idea. And that's what we do at Oceans 2050 and, and um, how I support other organizations like Oceana, um, which is an absolutely incredible organization that, that I love and, and also see legacy in others. I think that's been, you know, where I felt most comfortable. Although once the pandemic is over, I am very much looking forward to going out and visiting our partners in the field and, and maybe bringing a team with me to capture their stories and, and bring them to Dot Blue and, and Oceans 2050 and, and share them there. Um, but increasingly, I think user-generated content is just as compelling. People are really good at telling their own stories and, and you know, bringing, bringing their own creativity to what's happening in the world, their own perspective. And I love that too. Storytelling is, it's, it's so many different things and it's being expressed in so many different ways. And I think what's wonderful is that all of us can be storytellers today, not just, you know, Cousteau's for the ocean, which is how it used to be, but now everybody can tell stories about the ocean and what they love about it and what they worry about and how they're solving it and what they're bringing to the conversation. And that is precious. That, that is really priceless. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting what you're saying. We, uh, on Scoopverse, we have a, a monthly video competition. Um, and I get a three minute film from various people all around the world. And when it started out, it was about people diving in and eating bananas underwater and thinking, oh, okay. <laughs> but as the years have gone by, we've managed to turn the trend to conservation and make serious films about what people are seeing. And I have to say, the quality that's coming through and the messaging is fantastic. It's It's... Very encouraging to see ordinary people on their holidays making fantastic stories about marine conservation. Yeah, I believe it. And, and I, I, I love that um, because there's an authenticity um, and a truth to that that I think we can all relate to. Uh, we, in, in the scuba diving world, those of us that dive and and have seen the changes to the ocean, even just to the places that we love and we've been going back to, it's heartbreaking. You know, it, it makes me so sad that the places that I knew as a child have mostly disappeared. Yes. And I won't be able to take my own children. I have to find new places to take my children. And I expect that, you know, probably by the time they're my age in 2050, um, depending on how successful we are in rebuilding ocean, um, our oceans, you know, those places may or may not be there for them uh, to share with their children. And, and I hate the idea that my children's generation is going to be the one to write the obituary for the ocean if we don't create change now um, 
fast and, and ambitiously with bold measures and, and, and bold ideas, um, that's a very real possibility. Like we are on that pathway right now. And if it's not too late to get onto a different pathway, but we actually have to get onto a different pathway. There's a lot of work involved in that, um, you know, getting on a different, different direction. And, uh, and building something new, a new way of doing things. Change is not easy. Um, but I think a lot of people that experience the oceans through scuba diving and, and, and um, have been doing so for a while see those changes. I know you have, I have. And that um, makes us ambassadors in a way. You know, it, it, it sort of gives us the responsibility to protect what we love. And, and to do that, um, we can tell stories, we can support legislation. We can, um, you know, support changes in our own municipalities, our own localities. We can do a lot of different things um, with what what we do in, in in our own circle of influence, in our own home, in our own in our own towns. Um, and, it, and that matters a lot. Being a, an ambassador for change, being someone who um, can, you know, model that behavior for our communities is significant, I think. Alexandra, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you. Um, I'll cut us off there, because um, I know you're extremely busy, lots to do. Thank you again for taking the time. And I wish you full success. I wish us all full success with, with our work. Yeah, well, and I, I'll mention it one more time. SeaLegacy.blue, um, check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it, Jeff. If you love seeing the ocean um, and love beautiful photography and, and contributing to ocean restoration, then that's a great way to do it easily every day. I will do it, and I'll put a link up to, uh, at the end of the interview as well to it. Perfect. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Alexandra. Bye Thanks, for Jeff. now. Take Bye. care. All right. Bye-bye.